It's now time for Race Chat Live with Chris Creighton and Craig Moore. Oh my gosh. You, you, you've got to be kidding me. I was on mute the whole time. Beautiful. You just did the, way the we naughties. Like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just basically had uh, four minutes opening dialogue. That uh, was not uh, recorded yet. Uh, Sometimes it sucks not being a professional. (laughs) I have an echo as well. Do you hear the echo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 500, yay. Long night. What a speed week. Speed week, I should say. Yeah, yeah. As I was saying in the opening dialogue, who would have believed that Michael McDowell uh, would have been the uh, the winner and uh, such a spectacular crash there at the end. I hinted that uh, I've become an Austin Dillon fan. Um, there's still an echo here. i got to find it. Uh, so, you know... Uh, a lot of the fans probably tuned in last night, but what about the other crowd, Taz? What about the crowd that typically tunes in because it's the Super Bowl of racing? And uh, that casual crowd, we might have missed the button on. I'd like to talk about that uh, later this evening or upcoming. So, uh, yeah, I mean, let's just start from the beginning. Michael McDowell, your Daytona 500 champion. I can't even believe that. Like, don't get me wrong. I will say this. He has shown speed and performance at these tracks. Front row motorsports has always had plate tracked racing cars. Um, but so it was only a matter of time before he could win. But it's just hard to believe that. He went 367 straight losses, and on his 368th start, he gets his first win. It happens at the Daytona 500. Yeah, it, it's similar to Mikey White Walter. <laughs> getting an echo back in me. Can you hear the echo? Uh, I was at first. Now I'm not. Yeah, I'm stupid. There you go. Oh, there we go. Here we go. But, uh, that was an event. We'll start Speed Weeks quick here. The Bush Clash. More entertaining than I thought, but not as great as it, they made it out to be. Um, the guy who won stole the stole everything away. 
But uh, that was a fun time. What do you think, Chris? Well, this is about aggravating. Well, I hear you now. Okay, well, all right. Hopefully there will be no echo. Uh, yeah, can you uh, can, can we get back to what we were what we were talking about there, Tash? Can you give me a so? Um, we were talking about McDowell at first, and then I yeah, didn't hear you for yeah. a while. Yeah, so I tried throwing something in. They've got a couple of victories already. Uh, David Reagan a few years ago. Of course, Chris Busher, their most recent at Pocono when the rain fell. Um, this has to be huge for that organization, Taz. It has to be absolutely the biggest thing ever that's happened to Front Row Motorsports. Bob Jenkins, I mean, you know, a guy that showed up, has not complained since 2006, I believe, uh, Front Row Motorsports has showed up to the racetrack had not complained. They've been in an alliance with Ford for, uh, I guess, you know, a very long time. But I'd say 10 years or better. Um, they, they, other than the Roush team, they could possibly be one of the longest fields in Ford. And, and, you know, Doug Yates, at one time, I believe, had a personal ownership uh, into uh, Fort Road Motorsports. So, I mean, just, you know, I've seen negative comments earlier today. Uh, talking about, oh, it's going to be a wasted 16th spot. I mean, you know, this is a team that has not come out and spent a bunch of money from go. They built their organization from, from within. They finally, you know, rolled the dice. They've always had fast race cars at, at the restrictive plates, Taz, um, or at the super speedways, I should say now. Um, it really should not be a surprise. We know the crapshoot. It's just, you know, it's the Daytona 500. This guy just won the biggest race of his life, and it's the Daytona 500. Uh, <laughs> wow. Well, I mean, I've seen comments roll through um, saying how some people believe he deserved it, some people believe he didn't. Now, I will read this. And I got to pull it up here quick. Um, I did see a post on Twitter um, from a uh, decently well-known um, <clears throat> designer, and he's from Canada, actually. And he, his viewpoint of things is very interesting. But uh, let's see. Oh, he, he posted on Twitter. Listen, man. I'd also bowl through two bastards to win the Daytona 500 if I lost 357 straight races. My guy made the most of his opportunity today. What's more American than that? I agree. He's not wrong in that sense. I mean, I don't think he purposely plowed through them. Because it's only a matter of time at that point that somebody was going to give. Unfortunately, it was Logano and Keselowski that took the major spills, being the front two. <laughs> right. Um, but that's, that's Daytona racing for you. Should we put what a do you poll expect? question up? Do it. 
should should we put a poll question up towards Michael McDowell winning the Daytona 500 or Brad Keselowski's attempt to win to the Daytona 500? What is the bigger story? Huh. I know those are the two big stories going on in NASCAR.com, but uh, I haven't heard Keselowski's frustration interviews yet. But uh, some praise going out to McDowell from some uh, some of the guys in the garage or used to be in the garage. Um, Mr. Seven Time puts out congrats, McDowell, so well deserved. Denny Hamlin put out Mc, Michael McDowell's win tonight was no fluke, wasn't a anyone can win type of race. He's up front. He's up front time and time again at these super speedway races. Well-earned and well-deserved. Congrats. Landon Castle comes in, says no truer words, and what an amazing compliment from Denny, who is arguably the best driver at Daytona right now. Michael's living the fantasy we all dream every year. Congrats. Suarez says congrats, amigo. Allgaier's so incredibly happy for him. Um, Michael Waltrip, throwing love. Debbie... Logano says, so close. Fun we didn't cross the line first tonight, but I'm glad it was a Ford in victory lane. I'm happy for McDowell on his Daytona 500 victory. Um, I mean, number of people have are pouring out saying that this guy truly deserved it, and I honestly thought he did. And like I said earlier, he's up He's up front during these super speedway races. It was just a matter of time of when he was going to be able to cross the line first. Don't you find it ironic that uh, he's being praised for being a Ford team now? And But just a few years ago, when Michael McDowell said to Joey Logano, hey, I'm a Ford team member as well, Joey kind of just threw the shade to him. The one thing um, I will say about this, though, is with McDowell, if you remember, uh, I think it was, I want to say like two years ago, I think McDowell was struggling sponsorship-wise during the offseason, and someone came in and saved him for the season. Because he was planning on full-time, and then he was struggling in sponsor sponsorship for like a few races and somebody came in and saved him. Oh yeah, I do remember that. Was that him or was that Matty Matt Matt Medetto? No, it wasn't Debbie. Um it was McDowell because it was because Front Row was struggling for sponsorships between McDowell and somebody else. Yeah. I, was but it Benny McDowell, I think I think McDowell was uh McDowell wasn't struggling as bad as the other driver, though. I don't remember who this other driver was. I think it was when they were a three-car tandem at the time. Right. Landon Castle, maybe? I, I think it was, maybe. I was landing there during... No, he, he may not have been there during the time that McDowell came in. Um, well, you know, Michael McDowell's had a journey career. The guy's been more well-known for a wreck that happened at Texas in 2008 than he has ever been. Uh, for being a race car driver. It's a feel-good moment. It's great for NASCAR. But let me ask you something, Taz. I think this is the most important question here tonight. Did we miss a golden opportunity by not racing in prime time? Did, did, did we lose the fan connection 
for the casual fan, not the diehard fan. The diehard fan was there. They stayed up for bowl. It was over at 8.30, 9.30 Eastern time. Uh, this race lasted on into almost 11.30 at night. Now, the duels, they did as well, and that's my counter-argument, that there was only a 15-minute difference between the duels and the 500, and the 500 actually finished before the duels. But being that it was a Sunday night, Monday morning, did we miss maybe a, a, a crowd that we're trying to lure in because we did not run it Monday and we rushed on and ran it Sunday night? I feel like we may have lost it. Um, actually, oh, oh, good timing, too. Adam Stern just tweeted all this, and it's a good thing we just brought this up. Um. Okay, it's not of what I thought it was. Usually, usually, show. usually Adam Stern, usually Adam Stern puts out like TV ratings, but they don't, they haven't came out yet. I thought he just put them out, but he didn't. But um, puts out Daytona, which had already hosted fans post-pandemic break a handful of times, has around thirty thousand on site yesterday in the grandstands, and reported no major incidents, which is great. Um, no issues with Confederate flags. Well, we're not going to get into that. But um, I feel like in terms of we, like you said, Die Hard fans were there. Um, they represented. I think we missed, I think we we may have missed on the regular um, casual fan because, yeah, we raced at the start. But once the rain delay came in, I think you lost a lot of people. Um, I know they were updating time and time again, but I feel like you may have lost some of those casual, regular people. But who knows? Maybe the TV ratings may say otherwise. Well, I mean, we cannot go without recognizing the fact that this was Michael Jordan's very first competitive cup points-paying race. And there was a certain crowd... Uh, that uh, I believe NASCAR spent a lot of uh, marketing, a lot of propaganda on luring a new fan base in, and it just seems to be that Monday Monday morning, sure, we have crowned us a Daytona 500 champion, but did NASCAR miss a golden opportunity to maybe come back on Monday night and put on a little bit more of a display for the TV viewers, not necessarily the fan that was in the stands. Now, we know, uh, Taz, that NASCAR will go at all lengths to go ahead and get the race in. And rumor was yesterday that they were more worried about putting on some kind of game show. I don't know if you've seen the rumors, but I did. That they were uh, going, they were contemplating starting it at four o'clock tomorrow anyway because it was going to conflict with a game show that was debuting uh, Sunday night last night. So yeah, um, of course, you know that's not how it played out, and we were able to go racing, and uh, I think for the most part it was kind of a. I hate to say this, my friend, follow the leader type event I really thought that my eyes were going to deceive me because most of the time the guy who leads the most laps 
is the one who gets wrecked there at the end. And that kind of did not happen this time. Uh, but circumstances led Denny Hamlin to be put near the rear of the pack uh, with just several laps to go versus being at the front of the pack. Because I believe, and you can uh, contradict my opinion if you would like, but I believe Ford psyched them out and the pit stop strategy. And uh, they were just, they dropped down so fast and they executed a perfect pit road performance. And Toyota, being less than number five, five cars, I believe it was four at the time, uh, did not have the manpower to create their own draft, which in return put them at the rear of the field when the pit cycle uh, was done. Guys, would you like to uh, challenge? Would you like to challenge me in that idea? Um, I don't think I can really challenge you because Ford has this like weird strategy. At all super speedway races. They like to play mind games with the other two manufacturers. And that's why they're so successful at Talladega and Daytona. Because they have they go in and they talk one strategy. They probably talk this one strategy out loud. And Toyota and Chevy's just like, okay, we see what they're doing. How do we counter-react? And then, like, when it comes to game mode, Ford's just like, Okay, we're really gonna do this. We we just fooled these guys. Or we're we're doing this. And to, one thing with Toyota, like Chevy, yeah, they have numbers too versus Ford. But one problem with Toyota is like Toyota's trying to grow, and so they're trying to figure out. Well, we got to stop these Fords. These Fords are too much. Let's try to get something with Chevy because if you, I think it was last year. It wasn't last year or the year before that uh, Gibbs and Hendrick were working out some kind of alliance during the Daytona race. Um, and that's how you know Toyotas are trying to lean on Chevy to stop these Fords. Um, and the only problem with Toyota is that there's only, there's only five of them, like you said earlier. So it's hard when you put... Um, trying to think of it's hard to put a small country versus a freaking how can I put oh no let's put it this way think of war would you go in with an army or just a group of five people to go against a whole entire country oh of course that's what Toyota's working under right now would you rather work with Work with a country to take down another, or would you want to go on your going on your own with like four of your friends? Oh, every bit. Toyota's that. Toyota's Toyota had planned to join the Ford in that pit stop and the final pit stop, and somehow Ford either got prearranged information or just executed an awesome steal and come down. We we watched the Ford's pit early throughout the whole night. And we wondered, you know, and, and obviously they didn't change their game plan. Maybe you, you are right. It was a game of it was a game of, of chess. It was a game of chess, uh, and that's what it come down to. Ford psyched out the Toyotas. The Toyotas were going to pit with the Ford. They need it. They already knew Toyota, they had planned. Toyota, Toyota was playing checkers in a chess game. 
Yes, yes, yes. Toyota got caught playing checkers in a chess game. Exactly. Well said, Dad. And they do this every single uh, Super Speedway race to date. You can throw Talladega in there. And like I said, Ford has this game where they'll throw one game plan out, but out there to kind of get teams to be like, okay, this is what they're doing. Let's, how do we kind of react to compete with them? And then four kind of has this like little strategy that no one knows about until, until it's game time. And then they're like, Oh my God, we didn't see that coming. Right. Well, now I do not believe it was in Ford's strategy for Keselowski to basically I don't know if Keselowski was trying to dump Logano. I don't know if Keselowski was trying to bump Logano. I don't know if Keselowski uh, knew what Keselowski was doing. I know that he got a heavy shove, okay, lunged him forward, but uh, there was no love lost uh, when you raced your teammate like that, Tess. That. Because I, I believe I could see season-long implications for that type of race move. Is Brad Kowalski in trouble at Penske? I think if I were Penske, you're already looking at you have, you're looking at Kowalski versus Logano. Um, in terms of if you were to uh, keep a driver in for next year. If you had to, of course, this depends on how long Keselowski's contract is for. And, of course, Logano's contract. But I think Logano has a longer contract than uh, Keselowski does. But um, if Penske were to get rid of one, he's probably going to keep Logano. And the reason why I say this is because they both both equally have the talent – I just think Keselowski is a little bit older, and he might fade his he his time might fade away uh, quicker than Logano's. So, and if uh, if Mister Penske wants that Cindric uh, guy coming up, uh, he might have to boot a seat. I mean, yeah, there's Wood Brothers as an option. But if Dibby proves to be proves himself this year to stay in that ride, then you might as well keep Dibby in the twenty one. This is gonna keep Sindrick at bay, so where do you put him? You get rid of Kazlowski. And you put Sindrick in the two machine. Yes. I'm not sure that that's how he's gonna do that, how Pence is gonna do that, and I'll tell you why. I have believed the last several years that Ryan Blaney would be the successor to the number two car. The 12 car is the, basically the car that's basically what the 22 is now. The 22 is not going anywhere. So, they, you know, Dan Mendetto may have a chance to stay at Penske. We don't know the direction that Penske is going to go. We do know that the call has been made for uh, the ride to be open at Wood Brothers. So anticipating what Penske believes they're going to do is that they they had all intentions to keep Keselowski for at least this year, and it looks to me that the door is open for next year. 
that's what we think on the outside. Uh, but uh, as we get uh, on into the season and, and, and a kind of a boneheaded strategy there by Keselowski, I understand Brett Keselowski uh, wants to win the Daytona 500. I mean, that is the race that everybody goes for. Uh, but, I, you know, I don't know if he didn't – couldn't have had a little bit more caution there. Maybe he should have raced his teammate different. I don't know how that I don't know how that goes. Maybe they have uh, um, a strong enough relationship to go through that. But it really looked like a desperate attempt by Keselowski to uh, it may, and it, those are the types of moves that you see from drivers when they know that their time is coming short. I mean, could we see Brett Keselowski retire? In the next year or so, I, I don't think that that's too far-fetched from the truth. I mean, there's not an open, available ride, Taz. It's a little bit too early for speculation, but, uh, you know, it just it, – it was a desperate attempt. I believe, Craig, Craig, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. I'm sorry. I had to take take care of some things at the, at the day job. Um, I'm chiming into this, trying to last second. But, and I was trying to pull up stats while I was on the film, but Mike Perricone, I am not. Um, You have to look at the age of both drivers. And, Chris, you have a good point. He could be coming to the tail end of his career. I mean, if you look at Carl Edwards, he disappeared. He went off the radar. Like, it was announced in January – it was announced in January that he wasn't coming back the season that he didn't come back. What was that, 2019? Um, so, Kozlowski, if he goes out, he may go out with he may go out with very little fanfare. And like you said, that was a desperate move. Is he is he in contract talks that nobody is aware of? Are you there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're here. Um, you know, I, it had to have been a desperate attempt. That's all I can... That's but all like you said, to out. your point, to your point, you said he wanted to win the 500. That is the most prestigious race in NASCAR to win besides Darlington, Talladega, and I would even dare say... Um, a Bristol or a Martinsville. Well, so, well, you have to break up and not wreck your damn Well, I mean, if you're going to, like, kind of like what What's-His-Name said last week during the clash, if you're, Blaney said to the, in the clash, or one of them, uh, maybe it was Chase Elliott, if you're going to wreck me, at least win the damn race. <laughs> you know, Blaney if you're going to, if you're, yeah, if you're going to take me out, at least make sure you take me out so you win the race. Um, I unfortunately. Oh uh, yeah, and and I I know you. Uh, we I posted this on a thread, and I'm pretty sure our guest is almost in the studio if he's not already. Um, it, the I I have to applaud NASCAR for getting that race in last night. I mean, because we were talking about it being a four o'clock today race. 
and I was thinking to myself, oh, my goodness, if it's a 4 o'clock today race, our show is on at 8 o'clock. We're going to have to move things. Now, that's if we didn't have a prominent guest like we do, that wouldn't normally be an issue. But, you know, it's like I was glad I applaud NASCAR for getting it in. I'm, You know, I, I was glad they got it in. I, it ended, I think, at 12.15. I don't know what time. I don't know what time McDowell got done celebrating, but isn't McDowell the same driver that went uh, for a barrel roll at Talladega like six, seven years ago? Um, I'll have to check that one. I know he's the one that barrel roll at Texas. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And that was in 2008. It was the uh, Aaron's Dream Machine Double Zero. That's right. That's right. I mean, it was prominent in my head. I remember. I can still as I'm as I'm talking about it. I can, I can see him doing it. But I didn't realize it was 13 years ago. But I mean, he's a Cinderella which story. Reiterates my point in the beginning in my opening dialogue that this is uh, this is a driver that was most well known for something that happened. And that was his rookie year. I mean, this goes that far back. And uh, it's definitely the Mikey Walter story without the devastation. It is the feel-good story that we should have had 20 years ago uh, as we celebrated a driver who had never given up and then wound up with the trophy for the biggest race of his lifetime. And uh, it was very poetic. Yes. I mean, I was happy to see him win. I was happy to, you know, uh, I'll be honest. I was hoping that Larson was going to get the win because I needed to get ahead in points early for our little uh, gathering because I want I want a Target or Walmart gift card at the end of the season. But, I mean, it, it's nice to see somebody. I just hope. Now he's a pretty. If memory serves me right, McDowell's a pretty good road racer. Right. Um, so he was having six races. If if on road courses seven. and one being next seven. week, seven with next week being at Daytona. I mean, we could see we could see the Cinderella story continue, which would be pretty cool. For him, and maybe then all the naysayers, i.e. me, among other people, will realize that maybe this win wasn't a fluke, and he's not going to be out in the first round of the playoffs. You know, this win gives him something to look forward to and something to build upon for the next 25 weeks. You know, I will say this, and I... And I applaud Jason for this. I applaud CJ for this. That post that he did on the 110 page about Bubba Wallace and the, the 2311, or as has called it a few times, the 23XI team. Um, sorry, Taz, I couldn't help. It's amazing. It's not supposed to be a Joe Gibbs t- car, a 15 for Joe Gibbs, but what name was on the trailer? Joe Gibbs Racing. Yeah, and, 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 and claims the clap, the clap back 
Mr. Uh, Craig Moore and Taz Taylor. The clap back was the other driver. It's a it's a it's a manufacturer's souvenir trailer. Okay, so right. you're telling me that I'm gonna walk on the other side. There's gonna be a uh, a Chris Busher a, a jacket in the same uh, merchandise trailer that you find a Joey Logano. I don't think so. Yeah, I wasn't buying it either. But I mean, I was glad to see Bubba win the. I was glad to see Bubba, you know, up front. But again, you have to realize who his car owner is, who one of his car owners is, and and the team that that car owner drives for, and the manufacturer. If he was, if it was a one-off team all by himself, you know. He'd be getting the notoriety, but he wouldn't be as much, I don't think. So, I don't know if our guest is in the studio or not. Studio or not. Uh, he is not. Nine, uh, nine, 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 Listening to the show, John, you would you need to press one. Um, but uh, five, six minutes uh, past the half hour. We and I have not seen another another number pop up. So let's give a. Uh, Quick uh, uh, dialogue, I guess, on uh, who Bob Jenkins is and who Front Row Motorsports is. Well, there's probably people here who are like, we don't, we've never even heard of this race team. Before they hey, Chris, before you get into that, huh? quick, I know Craig mentioned something about uh, we could see a Cinderella story with McDowell continue at the Daytona Road Course. I have Road Course stats for him. Overall, his worst finish. In Cup is 42nd, and that was back in 2014 Watkins Glen and 2010 Watkins Glen. Uh, 2010 Watkins Glen was, I believe, Michael Waltrip Racing 55, and the other one was with the Levine Family 95. Now, we go back to the 34 car, specifically. Um, starting in 2018, you have Sonoma, the first race with that 34 car, finishes 21st. Um, 18th in Watkins Glen, 2018. 2018, Charlotte Roval finished 18th. Sonoma, 25th. Now you're saying, oh, those are low numbers. Well, we're going to cook things up here a bit. Watkins Glen, 2019, 16th. Charlotte Roval in 2019, 12th. I'm going to skip this next road course race because this one might blow your mind. And then a 30-second place finish at the Charlotte Roval in 2020. The one I skipped was a 2020 road course race at Daytona, top 10. It was the 10th place finish. Um, of those races in that 34 car, he's completed – Every single lap, but one in road course races. So he does show some spotlights on, in these road course races. So we could see him run up front for this. Well, and again, I think it would be phenomenal. No oh, gosh. You know, I think it would be phenomenal. Um, real quick, before I just message Miss Lee. But real quick, I just wanted to check in because I wasn't able to listen to the beginning part because I was taking care of some boss stuff. 
But um, how is your ice situation down there, Chris? Nah, it's, it's terrible, man. I mean, it's just, uh, y'all know the damages that ice can do, especially uh, in areas that there's not, 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 not used to having stuff like this. Thank goodness, in my area, we just had a splendor come through uh, at the beginning of the fall season and cut back a lot of uh, limbs off of trees. Uh, I mean, uh, limbs off of power lines and kind of made direct paths uh, for the power poles. Uh, so we've only had a few flickers and a couple of uh, oh shit moments, <laughs> but so far so good. Uh, better than Texas. Texas is going through rolling blackout. Uh, they do not have enough energy uh, to keep uh, to keep the power in the light zone, and we have some stupid ass president up in Washington who's uh, trying to kill the oil industry and uh, the pipeline industry. That's uh, the Wonderful time to be alive. That's all I can say. Well, as long as you guys are safe, as long as you and the family are safe, that's all that matters. Not only that, but you're able to visit with us on RCL each and every every week, especially tonight. Um, I'm actually driving back from the store that I'm the general manager of. I'm on a back road, and it's snow-covered, but it's nothing major. So they're saying the rest of it, the most of it is going to come overnight. But I, uh, I kind of, I'm excited to see where this is going to go. I, I know that uh, with with the road course coming up this weekend at Daytona, it'll be interesting to see what they, what the drivers learned from the clash that they can take to this weekend. And I actually well, want to get your opinion. I, your, I want to get your guys' opinion on the clash. Did you like that it wasn't the same old clash with them going around and around and around? Did you like the road course version of it? And I'd actually, if Miss Lee, I know she's listening, she's not going to talk, but she can... Uh, she can uh, chime in in our in our thread. I'm interested to know what she thought as well, and uh, so I'll shut up now and let you guys answer that question. What do you guys think of the road course at the Clash? So, with the Clash being under the lights, um, I will say this: I thought it was going to be really boring. I thought it was going to be a giant snooze fest. Um, it wasn't as bad as I thought. But it could have been better. Um, to me, what it, could have been better he, about it? I didn't care for the. Track. I didn't care for the halfway caution or that competition caution. Like I understand why they threw it, but I just didn't care for that because it kind of threw a roadblock into everything. Um, I would just said screw it, throw throw them out there for a whole thirty five laps the heck with it see what they got put them off the trailer throw them out there for 35 laps you have nothing on the line why throw them mandatory caution on lap 15 um but uh the ending was um was like a roll was like a throwback to charlotte roval pretty much type deal um 
But I will say this, though. It, watching the clash go down under the lights in the Daytona road course gave me a flashback to um, IROC running under the lights at the Daytona road course. And I know people are saying, well, the Rolex 24 races under the lights at the Daytona road course, so I don't understand what makes this one different. Well, you have like a 35-lap race, all strictly under the lights. The Rolex 24, I mean, that's 24 hours. Plus, you have sports cars versus stock cars. I mean, so Miss Lee me, just said... Go ahead. So, to me, it just felt a little... Um, it felt like a throwback to me, in a way. Some, some like, old-school, old races that, um, that just clicked in my head to me. It felt good to watch it and see it. Not gonna lie. I, I go back to kind of how exciting it was last year for NASCAR to do a lot of different things, to shuffle the board, to I think outside the box. In this case, think outside the big track. Um, you know, I, but I have to critic. I have to be a critic here. Because you only have three and then three more, six races that you race at Super Speedway, six races uh, for cup competition. And uh, three of those are, well, I guess if you count the 125, it's two separate races. You know, that's, uh, that's four for the weekend. You typically have four in, you know, in, in a week's period, basically. Uh, then you'll have two Talladega's and one more Daytona. Y'all can do the math probably better than I can. You know the deal. Anyway, uh, it's, you know, you take away that speedway race. I'm kind of kind of bummed by that. I think it was a good event. I think that, uh, as you said, Taz had a certain uh, feel to it. I, I did not compare. I didn't even think about the IROC race, uh, which is a, a great point that you brought up. But, and, and once again, I want to say how awesome it is that NASCAR thought so much outside the box. This one just didn't fit with me. It's about like the license of the race cars. Hey, you know, good job for thinking this up. It's cool to do it once. It didn't really fit. I didn't really like the idea. Uh, it could have been better choreographed. Uh, in this situation with the uh, road course, hey, we tried it. It was fun. We did it one time. Let's, let's, let's not cut out any super speedway racing, guys. Come on. I mean, I know the package has got to get better, but, of course, next year at the Daytona 500 and the course beforehand, we're going to have the next-gen car. And that's, uh, you know, that's uh, give us some super speedway racing, man. It, it's good for practice. Sure. I it, I mean, like you said, it gave um, variety, um, a shot of what NASCAR could do. Um, it was kind of like a it was it, it was kind of like let's test the waters, see what happens. We have nothing to lose. There's no points on the line. There's only twenty cars in the track. Right. They didn't lose anything at all. I think that, you know, it, it added some spark. Uh, 
Do I want to see this again every year? Hell no. Bring back my bring back my super speedway racing because there's 36 other races, 35, 36 other races that really don't have the same meaning as what the Bush Clash does. That Bush Clash is an all-for-money event. You're supposed to wreck your mama on the last lap. And the Daytona 500, I think you should get popped in the mouth if you wreck the first-place car. That's how I feel about it. Right. No, I think you're right on that aspect. Yeah, I mean, Recky yeah, in a distributed race. I mean, you know, get up there to the bumper, put her all up in the wall, and take home, you know, a million dollars or something. But when it comes to the Daytona 500, have some integrity, man. Have some self-decency. Don't wreck the guy in front of you to win the Daytona 500. That's not how this is supposed to be. If that's the way we're going to do it, then whoever is leading on the last lap of the Daytona 500 might as well just pull in the pit because they're going to be wrecked. They're going to find themselves upside down. That was a violent crash. Rich Kozlowski not only did a boneheaded move, but he paid the price for it, guys. There was nothing left of that two-car. And hit, I mean, you know, just imagine Kyle Busch. Oh, look, look, there's the checker flag. Bam! <laughs> Knocked him into mama. Holy hell. That was a that was a huge hit, guys. That was a huge hit. I'm not talking about the Beatles. Well, um, like Miss Lee said in our chat here, why don't try something different every year for the Clash? Let's keep it at Daytona. I would say keep it at Daytona. I would say kind of do like a rotation. Um. Let's do like say What's one year one? we'll do like we'll do, we'll do a twenty lap shootout on the oval, okay. Next year we do a, another thirty five lap shootout on the on the road course. Cool. Let's do both at Next, the same time. No, no, no. Hold on, we're gonna we're gonna throw a little twist in this one because it's gonna be a three year rotation, not a two, a three. What's my third option? Well, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. This used to be a thing. Send them on the little short track on the back stretch of Daytona. Have at it for 50 laps. You know what? I or think you know what? Two, three segments. Have them uh, move them over. To the, well, no, because some work needs to be done in order to, to move those barriers and such for the uh, road course. So never mind my idea. No, you're no, you're right there. You don't give up on your idea, Craig. I mean, think about it. If it starts to rain, just move some barriers, throw some freaking rain tires on, and we'll go from the big oval down to the to, to the road course. We won't have this interruption anymore. Well, wait a minute. I was so happy about my idea, and then I thought, oh, we go into a 50-minute delay over a lightning strike seven miles from the racetrack. It'll never work. New Smyrna is not a bad idea. Oh, they want to throw some dirt racing. When they run Daytona, why not throw in a bush clash of dirt racing at Volusia? We already got the dirt card nationals. Why not throw the bush clash? 
why don't why don't Daytona take a cue from Indianapolis Motor Speedway and just build a racetrack, a dirt track within the facility of Daytona? I don't I'm think sure Bush is very far from Daytona. Yeah, but I mean, you know, they build a racetrack for Indianapolis every year uh, for the sprint cars and the midgets. Some uh, put stock car back in stock car racing. Let's get some uh, infield uh, dirt racing during the week. It is speed weeks, right? I mean, I don't know. I don't know what the atmosphere is going to be, guys. This is a very interesting question, and I, and I just pondered this idea. So, uh, and it wasn't rehearsed. Are we going to get back to pre-COVID? Are we going to get back to where there's 200,000 people there? Are are we forever going to be damaged with the social distancing and uh, my family doesn't need to come in contact with your family? I mean, we're going to get a we're going to get back to the way we used to be, right? Or, Or should they just start pulling seats out of Daytona now? I, I, I think mean, we'll, uh, I think we'll go back. I'm, I won't I won't pull seats out yet. I won't pull yeah, seats out yet. Especially when you have especially when you have the road course coming up this weekend and you have um the night race coming up this summer. Who knows? Maybe the night race we might be going pre COVID. Who knows? I just I don't I don't think so. I really don't. I think that the days of packing out stadiums and concerts is it's over with. Um, it's a good run. Uh, but for years, I've made comments about how buffets are no longer sanitary and buffets are not, uh, you know, if you want to get a good stomach bug, go to your local buffet. <laughs> you know, with some grimy kid who didn't wash his hands after he went to the bathroom just touched that spoon there. Uh, Craig Moore, you work in the restaurant business. You you know a little thing about cross contamination. You even know a little thing about buffets. Um, I know some buffets you, up here in New York. I know some buffets up here in New York. They uh, you have to wear gloves if you're going to go up to the buffet. Um, or what you do is that if you want a buffet, you have to write down like certain. They give you a list of what's in the buffet, and you have to write down or you have to mark off what you want from the buffet, and they waitress. Fills up the plate for you, and they bring it over. And when I mean fill the plate, they fill the plate. Instead of being an appetizer, it's a second dinner for you. It just almost seems like even if we opened the gates completely, that there would be a hesitance from, I would say, third to, I don't know, uh, almost half that would be hesitant uh, to re-enter a facility like that and to, you know, the whole idea of being stacked on top of each other and crammed into places, those days of us being that way and uh, uh, enjoying events that way are, 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 are few and far between. I mean, you look at how we used to stack each other in the, in the movie theaters. Well, now, you know, you go to a movie theater and you, you've got a recliner and you can kick back and, you know, it's, it's things change. And sometimes it's, you know, um, it's things like this that happen that create that change. And I'm just not sure if we're ever going to see 200,000 people at Daytona again. I just really, I'm not sold on that. 
And so we have to build a better experience, right? Uh, they talked for uh, several for a while to make uh, Atlanta into a more of a gaming type uh, place uh, facility uh, than there than just the racetrack there. And so I, I could see NASCAR moving to making more events and uh, creating more of an in-house uh, entertainment in the new in the new environment, the new social environment. Because I don't believe that social environment of the old will return as we knew it then. No, it's going to be hard to see. Well, it just depends on how things are going. I mean, um, especially up here in New York, I mean, we're just getting word that, uh, ah, shoot, what was it? The weekend that seems in arenas of like ten thousand people or something um, can go can go back to limited capacity, but do you have to have a COVID test or something? I'm trying to see if I can look it up. I know I shared it once before. Yeah. Oh, there it is. Yeah, um, think about it. There's people who own season tickets, they own suites and 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 whatnot. And how can an organization continue to sell? these high-dollar packages to people if they're not allowed to use them. I mean, if we go for more than a year uh, without being able to sell uh, some of these amenities through the stadiums and stuff, they're going to – these major ball clubs and uh, uh, team owners are going to start coming up short. And so they're going to have to figure out some way to make the profit. And I would not be surprised, as if what keeps the crowds away in the next several years for NASCAR is NASCAR trying to remake the profit that they lost for uh, not being able to have fans in the stand. But eventually, somebody's going to have to rob Peter to pay Paul. Well, up here in New York, they're saying starting February 23rd, less than 10 days, um, for arena reopening, State Department of Health is approving venue for venues and events at 10 capacity limit in arenas and stadiums with over 10,000 person total capacity. You have to have a negative PCR test within 72 hours of the event you're going to attend. Face covering, social distance, temperature checks required, mandatory assigned socially distanced seating must be required. I mean, it's a step in the right direction, but problem is, where do racetracks stand at that point? And especially for some of these local tracks, I mean, if you want to attend an event, you have to take a test, spend money on that, and then pay money to get in the gate? Sounds a little expensive to me. If, I mean, they haven't quite cleared up the air on um, how to... How is this going to affect local tracks, um, people who want to attend basically on a weekly basis? Like, you have to have a COVID test every freaking Wednesday if you're going to attend a Saturday race? <laughs> right. I mean, it's a little excessive, if you ask me. Like, I can understand the temperature checks. I can understand the protocols they got to take, but... I feel like you have to take a you have to pay money for a co- for an actual COVID test 
each and every week just to get to a racetrack? Come on. Guys, uh, we have some movement here. Uh, It looks like our guest has called in. Mr. Lascotti. Hello, my friend. How are you? Hello, sir. Glad to have you on Race Chat Live. Uh, Welcome to our show. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, John, and uh, we'll uh, we'll get this conversation kicked off. First of all, thank you for coming on, and uh, we're really looking forward to uh, having a race chat conversation with you, my friend. Sounds good. Well, um, first off, thank you for having me. It's been uh, it's been a while since I've been on. Um, we're excited uh, for the season to to kick off. You know, in, in New Smyrna, that we had uh, our first race last week. Um, I'm really excited for, uh, for our little interview tonight. So you let me know what you need us to do and we'll do it. All right. So, uh, you, you guys are no stranger to racing. I've uh, been around for a very long time. As I was doing a little bit of pre pre research, uh, 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 you are the third. So there was the, you're the, you're the, uh, <laughs> okay. I'll bring you back in quick. Um, <laughs> you are John Visconti the third. That is correct. My grandfather was obviously senior. My father was junior, and I'm the third. But my grandfather never raced. Matter of fact, my father, when he started racing, was racing for about two or three years before my grandfather even found out that he was racing. So that was a kind of a funny story growing up. And um, <laughs> so my dad raced back in the 60s when he was probably 18, 17 years old, and he started doing very well. His nickname, which was Cookie, um, became very popular with the you know with the fans, and that's how my grandfather found out about my father racing. So, so you're saying that uh, Grandpa went to the store one morning and somebody said, "Oh, your boy Cookie is doing a really good exactly. job at the uh, at the racetrack Saturday night," and uh, Papa John yep. didn't uh, really know what was going <laughs> on. He had no idea. He he kind of knew something was up because my dad was always tinkering in the garage or at a, at a friend's house. But, yeah, um, Freeport Speedway, at the time it was called Freeport Stadium, and he was out there racing his, uh, I think they called them maybe street stocks or jalopies back then, but it was entry-level stuff, but he was doing a lot of winning. And, he, uh, you know, that's how my grandfather found out he was driving. And this uh, this very... went on for, for a couple of decades, right? Uh, John... Uh, your father uh, started a pretty impressive uh, racing career. Ended up getting up into some of the front end geometry and weight uh, transfer, which kind of set you guys up for a for a pretty long bid in in, in NASCAR. Yes, but around I want to say nineteen seventy seven seventy eight, uh, when everybody was still building, you know, their Chevelles and their Novas out of their garage. My dad had purchased a uh, a prefab How chassis. It was actually a How Generation One chassis, completely different from what we were uh, used to working with. And it took a little time for us to understand it, but it made us all a lot smarter. And that was kind of the the beginning of the end for us because things escalated financially um, from that point. You know, you, I don't remember what the numbers were, but 
to build a car in your backyard was by far a lot less expensive than building, you know, having a prefab car uh, shipped from, I, I believe it was Wisconsin, to go racing on, you know, on a Saturday night short track. But that's, that was the beginning of the end. That's where everybody started using those prefab uh, cars, and it just drove the price of the division, you know, the late model division, way up, way up. We won a lot of races, don't get me wrong. But uh, it was something that I guess it was the beginning of the end, like I said. Yeah, the, of, of being able to take a, a basically a junkyard car and uh, building a race car out of it. And these days, that's it, completely unheard of. These uh, late model sportsmen that they're racing at your local speedway on a weekend uh, is 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 a built race car. Um, Absolutely. So yeah, you kind of had to uh, change the way you did things. Y'all stepped away from racing for a little while. Uh, tell us, well, what, what, uh, what were y'all doing while y'all were, while y'all had stepped away from the series? Well, after my dad, uh, retired in 1982, I was a little bit too young and a little bit too short on funds to go racing properly. I, I did not want to go out and just drive, you know, uh, around the back of the pack. I had some pretty big shoes to fill if I was going to fill the shoes that is, um, so that was a little bit of pressure on me to, if I was going to race to be, you know, as not as good as my dad, but you know, comparable, uh, which I wasn't able to do because we didn't have the funding. My dad, at the time when he retired, Amsoil, believe it or not, had you know, we folded up our shop, and Amsoil went with Mark Martin, a young kid, Mark Martin. He's like 19 at the time, uh, and the handwriting, the handwriting was on the wall where that went, obviously, but. Uh, yeah. You know, I didn't know which way to turn, so I kind of got into driving go-karts full-time on, like, the IKF circuit and the WKA circuit, still keeping the Visconti name to a degree in the limelight because we won a lot of races, but it wasn't it wasn't a full-bodied race car. Uh, the first two or three or four years of that, I think I raced, like, 50 or 60 races a year with, with go-karts, and then I realized I wasn't going to go anywhere racing go-karts. I had to move up. To another division but again it was all about funding nobody was willing to just throw right. money at you and i didn't have it and you know i didn't know what to do so i i, I started a family i got married uh i was working as a uh electronic engineer for grumman's at the time so i was making a good salary and i just couldn't afford to leave that to go racing uh, now now let's back up there real quick uh john so during this time, this time frame that we're talking about, the mid '80s, it right. wasn't necessarily known as the Bush Series at that point in time. As a matter of Correct. fact, the late model sportsman division at the time, which was uh, eventually would become the Xfinity Series, there was only about right. three or four guys, three or four race teams that actually followed the circuit full season, full time. Uh, Correct. So, Funds were very hard to come by, and, and this was yes. basically a, a series that would have five to six uh, drivers that uh, went to all the races. They would show up in your local town and basically right. race the race, kind of kind of the old way, right? And and so the, the funding wasn't there. Correct, correct. You know, and then I had other responsibilities because I wasn't going to make a living at racing, and I I needed to make a living somewhere. So, you know, my of course my dad tried his best to to help you know, get us funded. And there was some promising, uh, you know, prospects, but 
again, I was under, uh, you know, I, I didn't have, I was under the gun to do well, and I didn't even have a resume yet. I was racing go-karts. That's all I was racing at the time. So it was kind of hard. You know, it wasn't my father trying to get a ride. It was me trying to get a ride and get funding. So it was a little bit difficult at the time. Right, right. And so what what, what finally made you say, okay, this go-kart's not going, this is not going to do it. What was your game plan uh, from there? Well, I took, I guess that was probably mid-80s, 85, 86, 87. Um, my first son was born in 1990. So that, again, added a whole new dimension to to my lifestyle once he had gotten a little bit older and i had another son we got i have two boys now by the mid 90s um which is about 10 years since i stopped racing then i wound up getting into the crate modified or the modified division uh not as a, i'm sorry the, uh, the legends division as a driver and we did really really well with that we, we won quite a few races and the legends were affordable you didn't have to have you know, real deep pockets to go running Legends cars. I ran them for about four or five years, did very well, won a lot of races, had a lot of fun. Uh, it wasn't too serious where I was racing every weekend, but I, I kept my foot um, in the door, so to speak, for prospective sponsors, and that's where I met, uh, I call him Mr. IGA, uh, Mr. Reichert that owns the IGA stores. He had seen uh, our operation liked what he had seen and never sponsored anything um, in the, in that division. And he offered me a small sponsorship. Maybe it was a couple of sets of tires for the, for the first season. And that was, I want to say, oh, I'm sorry. Where, he where, where did he see you at? I'm sorry. I didn't hear what you said. That was my fault. Hello? No, no, no. I just, uh, you know, it, it, was it my happen chance? Did was he scouting at the time? Uh, how oh, did no. you how did you meet the how, how did you meet this guy? Because he obviously set your set your uh, career course in a totally different direction. Absolutely, and that and that's how things you know right place, right time. Um, there was a gentleman by the name of Roger Oxy that was Mr. Reichert sponsored probably three different divisions to three different cars in three different divisions. Uh, a late model, a modified, and a truck. And nothing huge, decals, you know, uh, some T-shirts, and, you know, maybe a couple sets of tires. But to a local guy, that's a lot of, that's, you know, that's quite helpful. Um, so Mr. Reichert, who was friends with uh, or sponsoring uh, Roger Oxy out at Riverhead, said, you know, these Legends cars, they're kind of cool. You know, is there somebody that I could possibly help out with tires? And, Roger, being a very good friend of my dad's, mentioned my name, and Mr. Riker came and had seen us run, thought it would be good the way we presented ourselves with, you know, full uniforms and, and, and very neat and clean cars and the team all looking, you know, with their hats and their shirts. It was a really nice presentation, and he said, that's the type of deal I want to be involved in. So the first season was just a you know, couple of sets of tires and, you know, whatever that may be. And the next season I sat with them because I was already in Legends for like two years already, and I knew that I'd like to get out of the Legends um, eventually. So I sat with Mr. Riker, and I had told him about the division that was starting up at Riverhead called the Crate Modifieds, which is basically a Tour Modified with smaller tires, spec shocks, and a 602 Crate engine that's on, that's sealed, you know? Um, it was a very, it seemed at the time, it would be a very affordable division, 
So I sold my Legends car, the whole operation, sold it, and sat with Mr. Riker, and he decided that he would, you know, sponsor us going forward. And at this point, there was a little bit more money than it was with the Legends for him to sponsor us, but he had faith in us, and everything we did from that day that we first met was on a handshake. Nothing was on a contract. Nothing was on uh, paper. It was just two men sitting down, enjoying racing, because he's a big fan of racing. So we started going forward, and we got the crate modified. But at this point, I put a young driver by the name of C.J. Lehman in the car for that uh, ride, and he did very well. We we had a, a lot of success, and it just snowballed into a year or so later getting two tour modified as well as the crate modified. And we spent a year or two two doing that. And then I sat with Tommy Baldwin and said, I'd like to, uh, you know, come down South and and try this K&N deal. And here we are, you know, four years later, we're doing uh, exactly what we wanted to do every day. We're building and every day we're building to uh, another plateau, which is making me very happy. And Mr. Reichert is right there with us. Still, no contract, nothing but a handshake. And you know, if you That's followed awesome. where we've been, we're having we're having a great time. I'm 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 probably the only guy having fun in motorsports. So it's you know yes. that's what I wanted to do. You know, I really am. My wife and I. My wife is the official owner of the race team. My wife Marie. But we travel. We have fun. I got a beautiful shop in Mooresville. Um, I'm sitting there right now. In a couple of weeks we have. Couple of weeks we have uh, Mason coming on with us. Great, okay. and I'm I'm super excited for that. Tell us when you're when you're in the selection process for. Uh oh, did we lose? Did we lose Craig? No, I, I, I'm I'm here. Yeah, we, we may have lost Craig there, uh, in mid sentence. Huh. Uh, um, not sure. Craig, are you there? Nope, we must have lost Craig for a second. Um, I'm sure that his question was uh, going to be great. Yeah, his call has <laughs> dropped. Um, <laughs> I had a feeling he was going to ask. I had a feeling his question was going to be, you know, in the uh, the vetting process of of how you know how do we go about choosing a driver um, for our race teams? And I I, I think yeah, that's where I mean, he was going with it. for any race team, right? Uh, there there has to be. Uh, something that that makes it click that you think that this is the right driver for your organization. Uh, True. So we'll try to tune into that there, John, as we try to get uh, Craig back on. Well, I, I have to be honest with you. It's changed. I mean, I'm 57 years old now, um, and I've seen the sport change from when. And I, I listen. I'm a part of it, so I see it firsthand. You know, there was a time back in the day when a driver would, you know running at his local racetrack and he had a lot of talent and a guy that was in the levels or the divisions above would turn around and say, Hey, you know, Mr. So-and-so I own a race team, you know, at the next level, would you like to drive for us? And one thing will lead to another and they would, they would partner up that way. Nowadays it's, and I, and I hate to say it because I'm part of it, but a lot of the times it's how much money can this driver bring to the table? Right. And right. unfortunately, listen, we're we're all greedy in a way, all of us. It's just the nature. Uh, you know, if we're lucky enough to get somebody to come in with funding and be a good driver, well, that that's a home run. Um, but it doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes, and I'm one thing I will not do is I will not 100% never put a race car on the racetrack 
or a driver in that race car that isn't capable of being, you know, top three to top, you know, top five car at any given point. And I've proven that by every time we've been on the track, I think we've got like a, a 5.3 or some crazy number uh, average, you know, finishing average, um, you know, but unfortunately there are teams that literally just take the dollar, which it's unfortunate because there are so many drivers at the local level that are really good that will never get the opportunity to get out of that local level because they don't have the funding. And, and to me, that's, that's a tremendous disservice to to the sport and to the industry, right. you know. But John, but John this, this isn't something that just has happened in the last few years, John. This has been the concept for forty plus fifty years. We know we know that in order to get into a good route, you have to bring something to the table, or you're going to have to shell it out of your own pocket. So true. It, I, I think it's the last yeah. ten years. The last ten years, it's really been very prevalent. More so, maybe because I'm involved a little deeper than I was when I was younger. See it on, I see it on, on a level where it's at every level from, you know, literally from cup down. It's, it's, and it's a shame because there are drivers that I see every weekend. Because I like to go out to the local tracks when I'm in a certain area or if I'm, going, if I'm going to a race and I get there a few days early. There's so much talent out there. And unfortunately, you know, they need to be in the right place at the right time or they got to come with a bag of money. Which Are owners themselves by not uh, securing the sponsorship within the house? I, I know that well, this is an expense thing, and I know that it's an expensive hobby for some and a business for others. Um, true. But the obviously the route that we've taken, like, as you said, in the last 10 years, there's there really is no more we'll give you this shot kit. And that um, I see that, yeah, that, I see that less and less. Oh no, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I just what I was going to say was I, I feel you're you know you're correct on that. And myself, Visconti Motorsports, I try just as hard to continue to bring in sponsors as well as bringing in drivers who possibly have funding. But I don't have to bring in someone that has all of the funding. I meet them halfway. I still spend some of our my own funds out of my own pocket to go racing. Of course. Um, of course. You know, you which, of course you and I, because yeah. I love the sport and I'm having fun. So, right. you know, um, there are guys that run this strictly. I run it as a business, don't get me wrong, but I also realize that if I want to go fast, I have to have the, you know, the, the ways and means to do it. So I don't mind funding some of it myself. Uh, my first two seasons in K&N was basically a 90% or maybe 85% out of my own pocket. You know, you can only ask for so much from a sponsor when you're unproven at that level. Luckily, we did very well, you know. We even took down a win with Larry McReynolds' son, Brandon, uh, at New Hampshire, which was fantastic. We were the first first-year team that won a, a race at that level, which is great. Piece right. of history for us, you know. With your team car, right? Is that Was that your team? That was your team. Yeah, that was our team, sure. Yep. Oh, wow. See, Brandon, um, I'm from uh, Mississippi. I'm originally from Alabama. Uh, Brandon, okay. of course, you know, uh, is a, you know, he's a, he's Larry McReynolds' kid. And uh, yep. Larry was connected to the Alabama gang. Of course, Davey Allison, the crew chief. Sure. Uh, so, Davey, uh, Davey Brandon's a, godfather. 
Yeah, there you go. I mean, uh, yep. in a storied career. And so, of course, watching Brandon come through the ranks and all, and I, it really, you know, he, he had that win in the truck series, and uh, he went out on the K&N East, that, or was it the West End? Maybe in the West End. It was your team, right? No, we won in the East with the East, our East team, but he also won with Bill McAnally's uh, team in the West uh, in, in Iowa, I believe it was. Yes. So, so he had, I mean, it was, a, you know, he was going to be what we thought was the next big deal, and it just did not come to fruition uh, right. for Brandon there, but uh, that, that, that's just the way that it goes. That's the, that's yes. the name of the business. Yep. And I felt, I felt uh, personally, I felt, you know, a lot of gratification because when I first moved my operation to North Carolina and was sitting with Larry McReynolds across a boardroom table with him and his son, I was in my head saying, you know, they're never going to, you know, why would Larry McReynolds want to be, associated with John Visconti from the North when I don't have one lap in the K&N series yet. They don't know how we're going to do, you know. Um, but they had the faith in us, and and we obviously we did very well. But I was so shocked that he came on board not knowing what we were really about, which was great. He, he really had a leap of faith, and it was uh, it was very, very rewarding for all of us. And it's now continued you to wreak rewards for you, uh, including uh, the team that you have now. Uh, go ahead. Great. Uh, now, uh, John, you had yes, um, you had, you had Josh Taylor. Berry for for a race, uh, New Hampshire 2019 finished podium for ARCA. I'm yep. believing, if I remember right, that's the main ARCA um, yes. series. Yes. Um, seeing him. I believe it was a one-off deal. Seeing him race that, or race then, uh, two years ago, he just ran on the NASCAR's biggest stage um, at the Xfinity level for the first time yep. at that track. Do you think any of what he learned, maybe with that one race, kind of helped him out for like maybe Daytona in terms of competition factor? Well, it's funny. I was just with Josh a week before this past weekend. Um, I, I keep in contact with him. Him and I have some things that we're going to be doing together uh, in the future. And he, it was the first time he was in a an ARCA car that size. Uh, it's different than the late model. He's, he's, he is filled with talent. Josh Berry is filled with talent. Um, he got into our ARCA car and literally finished third inches off the bumper of second place. So he's just a natural talent. But to say that he gained any experience, uh, you know, that would have helped him at Daytona this weekend, I don't know if that was the case. But he was very grateful that we gave him the opportunity, and it, it paid off for all of us. And it also showed him that he can muscle around those big cars because they're not late models, they're not super late models. They're a whole different animal. And – um we sat and talked about it last week, and, and I think we're going to do some things together before all of his – or the next uh, Xfinity races that he has. We may do something to get him some uh, experience on the track the day before when we race so that he has more experience for the Xfinity side. Now, for the, for the ARCA cars, um, they, do they have – do they share any similarity or differences to maybe what he ran that – um, in terms of like maybe Xfinity a cup, just to kind of oh yeah, 
Um, drivers, so like drivers like him, um, when they are ready for that big time or when they get that big call, um, they kind of expect like something different because obviously, like you said, Josh Berry, a late model driver. Um, obviously, late model racing is completely different from um, going to like a natural stock car in terms of like ARCA, like what you guys do. Um, right. How, for a team standpoint, uh, owner standpoint, is there much, how much of a difference and how much of similarity is there between an ARCA card that you guys have versus um, any cars when they get up to the big stage? Well, the Xfinity cars, Cup, Xfinity, and ARCA, uh, the the chassis are almost, I, I, I shouldn't really put Cup in there because a lot of the Cup cars have different front ends due to man, uh, the, the teams building their own chassis. But for the most part, the, the template for an ARCA car, a Xfinity car, and, and a Cup car, the chassis are basically the same. There are some subtle differences, but they're basically the same chassis, same front end geometry, same rear end geometry. Uh, the weights are about identical. The big difference is the power of the engines. So, obviously, Cup has the most horsepower. Then you knock it down a little bit to the Xfinity level and then a little bit further down to the Canet, to the uh, Arca level. But the characteristics of how the cars handle are pretty much the same. You have pretty much the same aero effects because they're basically the same bodies. You have the same aero effect. You have the same drafting effect, um, you know, uh, when you're alone on the track as opposed to being in a draft. They, they, they're very, very similar. Uh, a late model, you don't have that. You don't have that, the same characteristics. That's why it shows how good of a driver Josh is because he went from the late model right into an ARCA car and then into a, an Xfinity car and was doing well throughout all three levels. So to answer your question, they are very similar minus the horsepower in the engines. Now, now John, I a question for you. You're talking about sure. similarities. Now with with Matt with Cup going to the new car 2022, I believe. How does that affect? Is that going to affect the ARCA series? And are do you know if ARCA uh, Xfinity and Cup are going to run that same? I haven't heard anything, so I'm wondering if maybe that's in the works. Or if well, it's not even on the radar. Well, the 2022 car has now done its final, on the cup side, has done its final uh, testing. And I think that they're pretty happy with the package on the, on the cup side. As far as Xfinity side, uh, they're staying with, the, with the, um, the spec car that they have now. You won't see that 22 car in Xfinity uh, anytime too soon, you know, until they, I guess, run a few seasons in in the um in the cup series but all those cars all the cars that you see on the cup side now by the end of this year those cars will not be around for the for the 22 season so those cars are going to trickle down to the xfinity side and the xfinity cars are going to trickle down to the arca side so you can have you can have an influx of Xfinity and Arca style cars in the marketplace, which may help a small team because there'll be so many cars available 
that it'll drive the price of a of a roller down or parts and pieces down. I, I, I think because the cup guys can't use them, so they may as well make some money out of it and sell them for you know pennies on the dollar, which is making the Xfinity guys happy, which in turn makes the Arca guys happy. You know, it trickles down. So I think gotcha. that you're going to see a good a good a good mix of newer cars, maybe some new teams coming out that can afford to buy maybe two or three cars because the pricing will be less expensive and you'll see new guys in Xfinity and you'll see new guys in Arca. Some guys will move up from Arca to Xfinity so, you know, and could, guys could be coming into Arca because the package will, will be less expensive. Just average ballpark. Years ago. Go ahead, Craig. Average ballpark. Sorry, Chris, average ballpark for a roller. What is that? Uh, what is that? Figure ballpark wise, not exact. On 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 the Arca side, on the Arca well, side, the, you know you could probably get right right now. You could probably get a really good roller. Uh, I want to say probably around forty thirty about forty thousand. I would say for a roller. I was just I was curious. That's. Yeah, it's hard to that. say. It's hard to say because yeah. these cars get get so um, recycled. You know, I have cars that are about three years old, two cars that are brand new, and one car that's about I don't know, maybe six years old. And you know, it doesn't matter how young or old, new or old the cars are. Uh, it depends who built them and what they've done. Right. But, you know, that's it's you know you're buying a piece of history. You're buying a resume. So, you know, like uh, Kenny Kenny Schrader just sold all of his equipment. They had an auction. And Kenny Schrader's been around the business forever, and he had really good equipment. Some things went for really good money, and some went for, like, wow, I can't believe it was that cheap. You know, and there's no rhyme or reason. It's just, it depends on what people are willing to spend, I guess. But you can, you can clearly say you need thirty, forty thousand for an engine, thirty, forty thousand for a chassis, and that's just to have a car sitting in your shop on all four wheels. Right. <laughs> with, with, with nothing but the uh, kitchen sink in there with it. So That's just it. a few years ago, ARCA was on its own, and now um, one of the longest sanctioned bodies around, now they're owned by NASCAR, and NASCAR's come in and made quite a few changes. Uh, have they opened the door for ARCA racing should be more profitable, and was that uh, a, the reason why you decided to come in like you did uh, you're, you also have the great help, Tommy Baldwin being the crew chief. How how much of that is intertwined through the through the uh, through the the race shop there? I mean, having Tommy Baldwin wrenching on your cars has got to be a dream come true. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, Tommy and I know each other from back when our fathers raced back in the '60s and '70s. You know, we grew up on Long Island together. Um, Tommy's always been helpful to me, uh, whether he was on my crew as a you know, team, uh, you know, member or just just with a, a phone a phone call where you know I needed some advice. Tommy's always been there, and this season, um, I know I probably I'm probably not answering the question that you had asked me, but as far as Tommy, well, I sat with him over the winter and I said we had a horrible, you know, COVID year last year. I want to come out of the box, you know, strong, and I think what I need is the expertise that you have, meaning Tommy. Uh, just to get me over that that little hump, because I'm running against GMS, Gibbs, 
DGR, you know, uh, the Gilliland teams. Exactly. You're, you know, you're feeding them to that second question. I kind of bundled those together because we're running out of time. But does it make it with the changes that NASCAR's made? And you have you have such a uh, uh, a guy in the shop that knows the reins of NASCAR and knows how to right. uh, definitely get the best out of the equipment. Has it opened the door for ARCA to be more profitable? Because over the last five years, we've seen a drastic pullback from teams entering the ARCA series. We've seen lower field uh, uh, entries, and uh, yeah. you know, last year was kind of the the new the new beginning for ARCA. Is it moving in the right direction? Of course, you're moving well, in the right direction with Tommy Baldwin, but is the sport well, we're, we're, is the series we're moving, itself right. moving in the right direction? I understand what you're saying. You know, the truth of the matter is every team now, what, what, what NASCAR has done with ARCA is made the ARCA series a little bit more on the same playing field as the Xfinity series and the, and the Cup series because those teams have R&D teams in the ARCA series. So they needed to make it where they have the same branch off of that tree, like a Joe Gibbs or a or a uh, a GMS team, whereas before there was so many differences that it wasn't uh, it wasn't worthwhile for them to really get into the ARCA series because the cause is so different. Now that they're very similar, they're able to use those teams as the ARCA teams as a uh, a stepping stone for their R and D branch of their of their existing Xfinity and Cup teams, but what happens with that is just the big guys are running fast. Guys like myself that's a smaller operation find it a little harder to run against them. But thank God we're doing as well as we've ever done, and having Tommy with me has given me that little extra edge that I needed. You know, we've beat them in the past, and we're competitive every weekend. Now I feel as though it's not – 50% 50% luck, 50% pre- uh, preparedness. I think it's 100% preparedness, and we're going to win some races. We almost won this past weekend, opening night. You know, so it was close, but we wound up finishing fourth. But we led the last 10 laps until uh, the green-white check it. And then, unfortunately, Mason, who did an amazing job throughout the whole race, was pushed up into the marbles and, you know, last green-white check it, everybody does their own thing, and we got the short end of it, but we were there, man. We were there for, you know, the last 10 laps we were leading that race until the caution came I got to get back to that. I got to get back to that, because that's where we were going to close uh, this interview with, with the amazing performance by your driver and how that must have felt. Taz Taylor, Taz, you have a you have a question real quick for John, right? Um, yeah, we. I'll, I'll have this quick question, and we can close it off with what Chris said. Um, if you want to try to brief this one up, because I feel like this could be a detailed, extensive answer, maybe. But I could be wrong. Okay. Um, <laughs> now, in terms of now with now with um, being a smaller race team, per se, when you go from like say like short tracks to like an intermediate or even a super speedway, do you, do you guys have like um, at the arc level, do you guys still have like multiple cars, like um, some of these bigger race teams um, in the higher levels have? Like they have certain uh, 
cars that ra- race at these certain tracks and certain cars that race at these types of tracks? Or at, at the ARCA level, do you have like one or two cars and you have to adjust it to whatever track you're going to be racing at that week? Interesting. That's a great question. It's a little bit of both. We happen to have we happen to have short track cars and we have intermediate cars. We have intermediate cars and we have short track cars. Our intermediate cars we could turn into a speedway car uh, with some some massaging. We as of yet do not have a full speedway car, um, which is the next thing on my plate. We've got five cars right now. I believe that having a speedway car uh, is the next thing on our plate, but of course we have to get to that level where we're going to be racing. ARCA's broken up into like four different divisions. The main ARCA series, the, the, uh, uh, the showdown series, east and west. And it's so intermingled that you could run, you know, 20 races and not finish any one of the series. So we're concentrating on the ARCA east series and four or five of the showdown races which will include some of the intermediate size tracks. John, one last Great. question for you, and then I, I think we've got to let you go, Chris is saying. I really hate to let you go. I'm having a good time listening to you, learning a whole <laughs> lot. So we're going to definitely have you back on again. I know, as I said earlier, before I got cut off, we got Mason coming on in a couple of weeks. Do we Please. need to um, email down to you and so that way he can he can be prepared. Would that be the best way to do it? And then I'll get on to my question. Sure, absolutely. You can email me, and I'll, I'll forward it all over to Mason for sure. All right, perfect. Now yeah. here is my question: the the ARCA series it's di- it's divided into two coasts. Why is that? Is that a cost saving feature? Yes, um, I believe it is. What's the, what's the premise well again predominantly the arca series the 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 teams in arca predominantly are not um at the level of xfinity truck or cup as far as on their their funding is concerned you know when we go out to phoenix or we go out to vegas that's a two or three day haul and it's very (laughs) you have to you have to when you're at the track that's the cheap part it's getting there it's the manpower to fly them out there it's the hauler who you need you know two drivers rather than one because of the amount of time it takes to get out there it's the fuel to get out there with your haulers so to make it where you can crown a a a short track champion east and west at least we're just traveling north and south on the east and you know we're not traveling too far west uh, and the same thing with the West guys. So it makes it it makes it more uh, it makes it easier for the teams in the West to stay out there and run their own race. The showdown stuff is within the middle. That's the Iowa's and that's the the Phoenix. I mean that's the um, the Memphis. Those are the tracks in the middle. And normally the more funded teams travel further east or further west for those races. Like, you'll probably see us at Michigan. I'm sorry, at Memphis. You'll see us in Nashville. You'll see us at Iowa. And you'll see us at Winchester. Whereas, coming from the West, you may see some some of those uh, West teams come out also. But you'll never see them come to Bristol or to New Hampshire. It's just too far uh, east for them, you know? Right. Where and when is the Argus Series up in New Hampshire? Um. 
I believe they're trying to get one on the books in September. It's always been in September. It's not on the schedule right now, but I think that they're trying to get it on the schedule the same weekend as the Modifieds, just like it was two seasons ago. Well, if that's the case, and I can get out of I can get out of New York, uh, I'm definitely <laughs> going to watch. Definitely going to come up and watch, and, and I'll, I'll try to get oldie and let you know. Maybe Taz and I will take a ride. I'd love to That'd come up great. and meet with you. And and, and as long as you're driving, Craig. <laughs> What's that? As long as you're driving, that? Craig. Well, yeah, yes. buddy. I don't. This this man. This Jeep's been to Florida and back, so we're good. <laughs> so, I, I want to thank Craig Moore and Taz. They're they're my colleagues, co-host of this show, Race Cat Live. Um, I did notice uh, when I was uh, reviewing your profile uh, that you were friends with a couple of my colleagues that have since passed. I'm not sure if you know them. I, I was I was going to mention I was going to mention Mike Barricone. I was going to dedicate and this then, day to him. Very yeah, very, when you said Riverhead, boy, you took me right to, right to Mike. So, yeah, definitely, uh, Mike, uh, another colleague of ours who who, who recently passed away. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's it's any friend of those guys is definitely a friend of mine. Um, Thank you, buddy. Yeah, and so so okay, here you are. Okay, and Taz, Craig, y'all have done awesome tonight. We're gonna close it out here. Um, here you are. It's it's, it's the Arca. It's Daytona. It's the right. closing lap. Your driver's in the lead. Is this not, I mean, walk us through that because you had to have been on cloud nine. Uh, I know that they always, the, the phrase, uh, you're going to uh, write checks your ass can't cash. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. Tell us, tell us about that moment where you were where you were really happy, and then all of a sudden, and then really sad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, if if you guys were to see my, you should really speak to my to my wife about this because my emotions. I have trained myself. I was a I was a commodities trader, so I was on the floor uh, like in trading places when you know with the yelling and the screaming. Uh, that was my livelihood for, up until about '07 when I retired. Um, so I have a really good poker face. So my emotions don't really range very high and low. My wife, on the other hand, was a basket case. So to answer, to answer the question, I was I, inside. I was I was nervous, but I had a feeling we were going to win that race. Um, we led the last ten laps, and then the damn caution came out, and it was a green white checkered. And you know. 99% of the time, you're a sitting duck on a green-white checkered if you're first or second. Um, and that's basically what happened. But, you know, I couldn't have been more proud of Mason Diaz himself as a driver for keeping his composure the way he did and having a tremendous smile on his face when he got out of the car. First race together, so I didn't know how he was going to react. And, man, what a gentleman he was. And you know, unfortunately, the fans weren't able to be around. But if they were, he would have a smile. He'd be signing autographs. He's a really, he's a really good, he's a really good overall person as far as um, he has very good upbringing. His dad, Michael's an awesome guy. You know, they're just regular guys. They're not, they're not, you know, they're not, they're just regular, regular people, and they're easy to get along with. Um, but I was nervous. I was nervous inside. My but the butterflies were, were, were fighting against each other because I wanted to win so bad, but I also wanted to, you know, come home with all four wheels on the car. 
So, you know, you don't know what to do. You go all out or you just settle in. So he, he went all out, and it, it didn't work out for us. But we did finish fourth, but everyone knew we were there. Everyone knew that the Viscani Motorsports team and Mason Diaz absolutely will be a force to be reckoned with this coming season. So that's what well, we hope that the regular side of Mason Diaz uh, turns into the phenomenal superstar side of Mason Diaz, and hopefully we'll be able to circle back. I know that's been a yep. pretty important word used for the last couple of weeks. Circle back to uh, this interview right here uh, with John. Absolutely. And, uh, man, it's been completely awesome. I've got one last question I like to ask all of my guests. Uh, typically, when it comes to race numbers, it always has a significant influence. Maybe uh, it was the yep. father's number. Maybe it was grandfather's number. Maybe it was just something that uh, you bought a race car, and that was the number on the side of it. We've heard it all. But we'd like to hear your story, John, and how you wound up with the number 74. Well, my dad was number 74, so I wanted to keep that, that number alive. Everyone knows him as Cookie number 74. So, and I'm sure you all know that my dad passed away um, in July of last year. And, you know, keeping the Visconti Motorsports name and that number alive uh, in his honor was is paramount. But the reason why he had that number was because when he was uh, lettering his own race cars back in the day, you know, doing your own numbers, a seven and a four were real easy to make. And it already was a 71. That was Bruno Bracchi. He wanted to be 71, if you remember back when Bruno Bracchi uh, from Long Island, they called him the, uh, the flying mailman or something. He was a mailman. And Bruno was number 71. So my father said, okay, I'll make it a four. So that's how the 74 came to be. And I kept it since then. That's awesome. I know that uh, you can't do this at all without the proper partners behind you. I see uh, um, carriers on the side of the race car. What is that? Uh, oh, oh, yeah. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, now, this is this is a curveball for my for my two co-hosts here. I've seen a Chevrolet and a Toyota in the same shop. Uh, you do, you do, you do. Yes, you do. Um, yes, you do. <laughs> We're going to leave it at that. Good eyes. <laughs> um, good night. The truth is, have, have a good night. Goodbye. <laughs> That's the car that y'all are racing. So, you don't have to answer that one with the with uh, those two bras in the same building together. But uh, <laughs> well, I'll be I'll be honest with you. If you look a little deeper, you'll see a Ford in the corner as well. But that's that's wow. another that's, that's for another that's another conversation for another day. Um, but but John, real, real quick question: probably a Dodge Chargers chassis somewhere in there as well. <laughs> <laughs> My wife has that home. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, Solid Rock Carriers uh, out of North Carolina. Those guys are great. They've been on board with Mason for a long time. Mason brought them along uh, for the ride with us, as well as uh, Prince William Marina, also a very big supporter of Mason Diaz and that family. Um, Bomber eyeglasses. Uh, They've been with us for, for quite a few years, as, as well as, of course, the Riker group, Mr. Riker. Um, without all their you know, input and their help, none of us would be where we are. So it's, 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 it's a pleasure to have all these people on board with us. Uh, they trust us enough to put our, you know, their name on the sides of our race cars. And if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be where we are today. So we're having a great time with, with all of our sponsors. We're hoping that we are representing them well. And... You know, going forward, um, 
because Mr. Reich and I don't have a contract, like I had told you, um, my, my, to him was as long as, you know, him and I are friends, whether or not he's an actual sponsor or not, he's going to have his name on the side of my race call. Cause if it wasn't for him and his family, I would not be where I am today. So long story short, it's the Riker group will be with me until whatever division I'm in and until, until we stop. So that's, that's that with them. That's great. That, that's that, awesome. That's what we see. And that's, uh, that's what we like to see in racing. Also, uh, you know, uh, the name is really cool. So, like, if you decide to pop it on a side of a, a wine bottle or maybe a, a vodka, I think that uh, that, that may be uh, something that you can partake in later down the road. Uh, <laughs> What's that? I mean, it's just an awesome name. I mean, you would just expect it to be on the side of an alcohol bottle or maybe a wine <laughs> bottle there. But but anyway, that's just, that's just me hyper-thinking there. Uh, but it's been great to have you on, John. We look forward to yes, having sir. you on again. You've made us a fan of the 74 team. Uh, we're going to keep our eye on you. We're going to keep our eye on Mason Diaz. We can't wait to have him on the show here in a couple of weeks, and we're going we're gonna to throw the hard balls at him like we did you. Uh, you do it. And, uh, and, and and hopefully we'll get just as a satisfying response from him as we have from you. I, I tell you, you've, uh, you've really made a lot of laughs here tonight. Uh, such a great attitude. And uh, we just appreciate you coming on and giving our little radio show a, a twinkle here tonight. Well, I, I, I appreciate it, guys. And, uh, you know, again, it's, it's easy with guys like yourselves. You're, you're, you're professionals. You make me laugh. That's, I, I'm having fun. I think I, I started off our conversation this evening by saying I'm having fun. And radio shows like yourself, I'm having fun. Uh, that, that's all that matters. And, you know, until I stop having fun, you're going to keep laughing with me and Maybe even at me, but we're going to be having fun all the way through this whole process. <laughs> so, hey, thank um, you for everything, guys. Chris, he's missing two decals. Yeah, yeah, Send yeah, them hey, over. Hey, hey. We're, we're just now getting this relationship started. Calm down, Craig Moore. <laughs> I was, I, I literally just said in the group thread, this guy just called us professional. <laughs> he has not listened to the show very much. Obviously. I guess I haven't been around that long. <laughs> He's missing a race chat live and a more two music decal. We gotta fix that. We gotta fix that. Uh, in New hey, we the one more there. Oh we yeah, he designs. No. <laughs> Listen, right, I, I know the owner you. real well. I know the owner real well. If I buy her a pocketbook, guaranteed I can get you a decal on the car. <laughs> well, I got five dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, all right, all right, all right. I don't want to lose the interview here at the end. Thank you, John. You were an awesome guest. Can't wait to have you on again. Like I Thank said, you very we're, gonna, much. we're gonna really follow this team and, and we're gonna be in depth with you guys. We're gonna bring you back on. Hopefully, uh once we bring Mason on, we'll probably bring you you two on together in kind of Perfect. a mid season report to let us know how things are going. You got it, my friend. Thanks for uh keeping us on and uh thanks for doing what you guys do and Look out for us in Pensacola on the 27th. That's our next Auker race uh, down in Florida. Right now. Awesome. Good deal. Thanks, guys. Have a great night. Then, All right. Too. Thank you. John Piscotti. Good, uh, John Good night, Scotty, guys. Motor, Motorsport. Uh, finish coming off a hot hand here. Fourth place finish uh, at the Arca Daytona event. What an awesome interview. Thank you, Miss Lee, for making that possible. Um, and you know, a friend of, of course, as I said before, a friend of Steve, a friend of Mike is definitely going to be a friend of mine. I think I feel like I've made a new friend here tonight. Uh, Taz, Craig, y'all did awesome. Great job. Great job. Great questions. 
Uh, we got nine minutes, guys. Nine minutes. We 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 held on to the interview a little bit longer, but it's okay. Uh, we got a lot of the dialogue finished uh, in the first half uh, in the first half of the show. So basically, now we're coming up to. We're not going anywhere. We're going to stay in Daytona. We're going to the road course. Uh, a little bit of uh, a little bit of taste of what we had a few weeks ago. Do you expect the same kind of drama coming up in this week? So at the road course in Daytona. Of course, this race is replacing our normal Western run where we would go to California. I believe we are going to go to Phoenix when we leave Daytona, if I'm not mistaken. Auto Club. This was the replacement for Auto Club. Okay. So when we leave uh, Daytona, we'll be traveling to, I believe, Phoenix and then to Las Vegas for our Western, Western Swing. Um, do we have any early favorites? Uh, do we do we take? I mean, I'm taking Kyle take. Butch really the favorite to win uh, next weekend or this 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 coming up weekend or how's that? Uh, I have a and, couple, and but I'm not saying it be? yet. Until we do our picks, I'm not uh, saying my favorites yet. Well, we've okay, only got so like five minutes left. So, class? yes, is there any support classes that are that are racing this weekend other than is Xfinity truck, racing there? Truck Xfinity. All three are racing. All three are racing at Daytona. Wow. So normally the truck series would take a break several weeks. Uh, it's good to see uh, Good to see them staying on the schedule there. Uh, so, uh, okay. So we, we've got uh, all three of them running at Talladega. This, this, I mean, at Daytona this weekend. It's all road course. Uh, I'm not really sure I can pick a road course racer up in the truck series. Um, Xfinity Series, I would probably look towards the Justin Allgaier. Um, maybe in the Truck Series, of, I would uh, probably Sonoma. Not Sonoma Light. With... Or Sonoma Mental. Sure. Come on. Put your, put your, put it on mute. <laughs> I wouldn't pick Stuart Friesen this weekend, and, I'm, and I'll probably eat my pick for that because he'll probably win the damn race. Uh, but uh, so let's go. Let's go with John Hunter Nemechek. John Hunter Nemechek. He runs really well. Uh, so I'm going to go with John Hunter Nemechek as my truck series pick, along with Justin the Little Gator out here uh, for my Xfinity pick. And drum roll, please. <laughs> Um, drum roll, drum roll, drum roll, I don't drum roll. know. I don't know who to go for my cup pick. Uh, I guess Chase Elliott. There it is. Well, Chris, you stole two of my picks. Thank you, Lordy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Trucks, he threw me in for a curveball. Oh, what a guy. Um, Xfinity? Well, I'm going with Austin Cindric. I mean, the guy can straight up drive. Um, I know he's riding high off Daytona, uh, right after coming off an Xfinity championship. Um, the guy's just riding on cloud nine right now. Why not keep the momentum train going? Um, for trucks? Oh, good Lord. You know what? I'm going to go with a... Oh, no. All right, we're skipping trucks because I have no idea now. Um, for X, for the Cup side, well, since you stole one, 
my primary pick. Well, we're going to go with my backup. He would have won the clash had he not wrecked out. I'm going, well, I'm picking him again. Let's go with Ryan Blaney. And then, um, trucks. Good God. Uh, I'm going to go, let's go Todd Gillen for me. Throwing front row motorsports. Keep them going. <laughs> I would have said Dinger for uh, road course, but Cindric's riding in cloud nine. All right, you ready for mine? After I, almost, for got, after I almost got smacked in Stewart's parking lot. Go for, for it. The, for the truck series, I'm going to go with Stuart Friesen. Only because I'm going to pick him till he wins again. So you might as well no, just mark not, him down here. We're, we're, doing, we're doing points here. That's not very smart. That's not a good strategy there, Craig. I never said I was smart. No, don't put him down in your book every week for me. Uh, this week, I'm going to go with Stewie. Um, you actually, Jay, um, Taz, you stole one of mine. I was going to say Al Gear, and I'll still go with Al Gear. And in That's Chris. Chris. Whatever. You both of you stole them. Uh, um, and in Cup, I'm going to go with. I'm going to go with, uh, let's see. You have to, Everybody you can't pick watch. Chase or Blaney. You can't pick Chase or Blaney for this bet. No, I'm not gonna. Uh, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with the candy man himself. Ooh. I'm going to go with, I'm going to make CJ happy. I'm going to make CJ happy. I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with the candy man. Because the candy man can, and he proved he can, as long as he's in the right spot. And I think that 2020 was his was his fluke year. And I think that the races that they have practiced for this year, and even going based off of notes from last year, with no practice at some tracks, it will be beneficial. So I definitely think that he... Um, is a threat this coming Sunday at when we're back down at the beach while they're uh, running the road course in Daytona. So there are my picks. And, guys, we'll have these picks up online as soon as we hear from CJ and Miss Lee. So that way you guys can chime in and let us know uh, who you think is going to win this weekend, I know we have a we have a really good listener, and I want to thank him. I don't know if he's listening now, Mr. R.J. Batch. Um, he is a top fan on our Race Chat Live page. We guys, we invite you guys to check it out. Um, we post content all the time, and even during the off season, the three of us were posting content. So check that out. Check that out on Facebook, and we're also on Twitter. I'll post that to the Race Chat Live page. I expect to see at least 15 new likes between now and the morning. Yeah, I appreciate you there with that closing. I, I got kicked out, uh, Craig. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so we, we want you back next week. We had a great interview this week. Um, I didn't get to hear your cup pick, but I, I'll be updated 
uh, with uh, Taz. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Be back next week. Same bat time, same bat place. Race Chat Live with Chris, Taz, and Craig. Man, what a hell of a show, guys. Good night. Good night, everybody. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.